I think one of the biggest ones for me was um, just getting rid of that guilt and shame that I was feeling about my life, like from the lying, the hiding, the using, everything like that was, hey, maybe a lot of this isn't necessarily your fault. You know, maybe you didn't know better. Like, who knows why you were where you were, but let's remove that now. Now, what direction are you heading in? Now, who are you? And I think the one of the best parts was that I didn't feel any less or different of a person because I had an addiction. In fact, some of the most beautiful, talented, intelligent people that I've met and had deep conversations with in the longest time have been touched by addiction one way, shape, or form, whether they were an addict themselves or they had addicts in their life. Dylan Bromley is a business development specialist working in Winnipeg, Manitoba. His natural gifts in communication and interpersonal connections paired with his incredible level of self-awareness have allowed him to share his experiences over the last few years in a really powerful way. Wearing his gigantic heart on his sleeve, Dylan is a hardworking, business-minded, family-centered man who's learned a lot from his experiences. Welcome to The Safe Haven. I'm your host, Amanda Lytle. The Safe Haven offers a collection of conversations about life's challenges and the pivots we make in order to keep moving forward. Dylan is recovering from his addictions to alcohol and cocaine. Recently out of rehab, he's taken the plunge into therapy and recovery with a super-focused mindset on the big picture. Always having been self-aware, Dylan's abilities to connect to his inner self have proven extremely important throughout his recovery journey and connection to his spirituality. In the conversation today, Dylan takes us back to when he knew that his addictions were a problem and what the stages were moving through that in his relationships with others and with himself. The conversation is so heartwarming and inspiring, shared with a high level of emotional intelligence, acceptance, commitment, and compassion. Before we jump in, please be aware of today's content in advance, covering addiction, substance abuse of cocaine and alcohol, and recovery. We begin the conversation today after I've asked Dylan to take us back to the first time he tried cocaine. I remember the first time that I ever tried cocaine was, it definitely wasn't planned. It was not really in the greatest of mindsets. We had had a pretty rough year. And so, oddly enough, me and some friends were hanging out at uh, at the mall uh, late, late at night. We were waiting for the new Jordans to drop. And so, like... We were trying to stay up all night. We were all drunk. We were just waiting around in the parking lot. And uh, my friends were doing some lines. And uh, and I mean, I was beyond drunk. And uh, I was in the back there. And I don't really know what got me to, to go for it. But I, I'm pretty sure I asked for a line. Or it was just around me. And it just kind of more actually happened. I don't know what my brain's allowing me to remember or what I want to remember. But either way, I, I tried it. And... And I remember that feeling of just something so new and something so, so different. And, and I felt like we walked up to uh, the second story of a parking garage. And I remember like turning to my friend and saying, like, I could literally just, I could jump off of here. I bet you I could fly. <laughs> I really felt like I was invincible. Like I felt like I was Superman. And oddly enough, that feeling, that one night the way that I felt that one night, I ended up chasing that for years, you know, progressively 
the drugs were incorporated more and more over the years as my drinking continued. But the decline of just everything around me and the decline of my my mental state and, and my happiness and everything was just so much faster once I incorporated drugs in with the alcohol. And that that feeling, going back to that night, that feeling kept me chasing it for so, so long. And uh, I've never felt that same feeling ever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I never ever would, no matter how many times I continued to do drugs or continued to drink or chased it. I, I never would. Mm-hmm. For context here, can you give us a time frame, your ages? Can you just share your ages, like when you had taken that first line in the car? I, I think I was like 22 years old. Okay. And yeah. then, so when you're talking about the decline of your mental state and your mental health, what were some things that you started to become aware of that started to become more of a priority in your awareness of, wow, this is a problem. I need to look after myself. Those kind of moments. Um, interesting. That's a good question. It, I think it was the smaller things leading up. Like I always knew that it was something that I didn't want anybody to really know about. Just the close-knit ones. Just the people that I did drugs with. Just people I drank with. Only they know that side of me. Mm-hmm. You know, I would keep that tucked away from family acquaintances, people I knew from high school, people, you know, love interests, workplaces. I always knew that I was doing something that just felt wrong. And I learned through recovery that it's because I was wronging myself and my own values and my own beliefs, my own version of the self that I really want to be. But you pick up on things, right? Like most of the time it was like, I financially definitely shouldn't be doing this. It's an expensive habit and, uh, and also just the lifestyle that it breeds is, is brutal, you know, staying up nights on end and with alcohol and cocaine together, it's always like, you got to even out. So if you feel like you're too drunk then you do a line so that you don't, you know, and then you feel like you may be too high. So now I got to drink to try to get on this more even keel plain especially when you're out in public and you're like I don't want anybody seeing me just totally whacked Mm -hmm. whether it be really drunk or like really high but if I could just strike that balance Mm -hmm. and you know I could hide it from everybody and I'll still feel all right it was those moments where I'm like man this is such a chore and this is just a problem you know Mm -hmm. I I shouldn't have to battle myself and I shouldn't have to fight these thoughts and these behaviors and these drugs and constantly and it becomes such a burden like even just wanting to have something right like going to the beer store even if it's a every Friday Saturday Sunday it just became a chore like I gotta go spend money I gotta have money for these days and then picking up drugs especially if you already drank is like you've got limited options And it's a huge pain in the ass. Like who wants to deal with a drug dealer? They're drug dealers for a reason. (laughs) Like they're not, they're not the most punctual guys, you know? So it's those things that it just always kind of felt like wrong. You know, I wasn't doing what I truly believed that I should be doing. And also wasn't really enjoyable. I was just doing it out of, out of habit and out of avoidance of other things but I, I was doing it 
for so long that I didn't even realize that the things that I were was trying to avoid are are not nearly as bad as addiction and and what I was really in. Mm-hmm. I never gave myself that break to see that. Right. Did anyone ever express any type of concern about this or because you had kept it so under wraps, it was quite secretive? Like, did your family have any idea at all that it was as bad as it was? Uh, I had quite a few friends be like, hey, you should probably chill out. You shouldn't drink so much. You shouldn't do this. Why do you always do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it came from, I think it did come from the heart and, and of concern. But, you know, and especially in, in my mind state then it was sort of like how can you tell me what to do when we've Mm. done these things together and Mm -hmm. and it just kind of it was me looking outwards instead of looking inwards and family wise I mean yeah my parents definitely never really liked that I drank but they they didn't expect anything further than that especially from our history with addiction um Mm -hmm. they really didn't think that I would have gone any farther than that Mm mm-hmm I was also wondering about work and performance at work. Was there anything that ever happened at work? You know, was it ever an influence there? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Even if it was in ways that I didn't recognize at the time. I mean, who would want to be like, how productive are you really if you're hungover all the time or if you didn't sleep very well or if you haven't eaten properly in days, like your brain is just not working. And I'm sure there was plenty of times where I called in sick and that affects your work and just the constant battle with yourself and your own brain. You know, if you're not constantly wanting to grow and be open-minded and learn, I already think you're at a disadvantage. I was in no position to even consider those things. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to survive, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's actually a great segue because knowing a little bit of your story and weaving through it here, I know it's a bit of a fast forward, but I have two questions or kind of things I want you to take us through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say them both and then you pick which one you want to jump into. Okay. So one was the contest that you won and the other oh, one yeah. <laughs> and the other <laughs> one is the missing person in March of this year. Yes. Okay. And I know that one comes before the other, yeah. but I figure I, I know that they could go either way. So go for it. That's funny. Um, we could go chronologically. Mm-hmm. Or we can go emotionally. Uh, One's a little bit of a nicer story than the other. But I I think I'll go chronologically just because I think it explains the other story a little bit better. Yeah. Okay. So October 2019, I had just lost a job like in the summer. Definitely addiction had a big influence in that. I (laughs) I was nowhere near... Um, and a good mindset to to uh, deal with the things that I had to deal with or the people that I had to deal with. And I was unemployed for a few months, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I was kind of at a crossroads going, uh, do I want to go back into sales? And I had pretty bad experiences at pretty much every workplace that I've been in sales. When I look back, you know, I, I could be picky and pick apart anything. But I was just kind of like, I'm young, I could go to school, I could do this, I could do that. And I still was undecided. I had no idea what I was going to do. Uh, Meanwhile, my friend had tagged me in a contest on Instagram. And I hadn't followed the person. But I just thought, hey, for the hell of it, I'll, I'll put my entry in. So it was literally just tag a couple of your friends. So I tagged him. 
because he tagged me and another friend. And uh, a few days went by, obviously not thinking much of it. Me and my, my friend had liked to play NHL. So literally the Wednesday night, we're playing NHL online. And I, my phone buzzes a couple times. And I put down my controller because I kind of noticed I'm getting a bunch of DMs on Instagram. And I'm like, man, I'm not even kidding you. I, I got a message from Dan Bilzerian on Instagram. And he's like, nah, nah, you're fucking with me. It's like, no, man, I, I really did. And I, I had dropped my controller and we're pretty competitive. So he knew if like that controller went down, I wasn't messing around. <laughs> so I went on there and, and sure enough, it was the real Dan Bilzerian and he was messaging me himself. And he asked me if I, uh, if I wanted to fly out to his party. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I do. And he said, you don't even follow me on Instagram. <laughs> I said, sorry. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't follow you. I didn't think that was part of the rules. And he said, nah, it doesn't matter. That's funny. I'm still going to fly you out. So, so I, I obviously had been completely done with the video games. I walk downstairs. I was still living with my parents at the time and I'm literally shaking and I'm telling my mom, mom, I'm going to California and somebody's flying us out. And we're going to a party. <laughs> she, she's she's like no you're getting scammed <laughs> she thinks it's one of those like tax fraud phone yeah. calls you get but like she thinks I don't actually know Instagram and it, it gave me a good chuckle because I'm like no mom like I, I really am I won a contest and looking back on that you know there was 350,000 comments on that picture that's like winning a small lottery you know well, I guess not even small, like that's, that's pretty insane. So that was the Wednesday night and the Thursday morning at 7am, we uh, were on a plane to uh, LA and I had gotten in touch with Dan's assistant and uh, we, he flew us down there. Now at that, at this time I was wanting and trying to get better, not sober, but I wanted to kind of figure my life out, right? Like I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I still didn't think I needed to stay away from drinking, but it was a very good indication that drinking led to more for me for years to come. So I, I knew going out there to a party, I was like, I'm going to drink. And sure enough, going there, I mean, the place was insane. and There was open bars everywhere, all free booze. So I, I drank when I was down there. And it was a really interesting experience because it was literally, it was almost like a dream. We were down there for one day. We flew back on Friday and just seeing people that you, that you see on social media, you know, partying with them, meeting them, hearing their stories. And it was such a strange experience that I'm extremely thankful for because I think it was one of those building block pieces that really taught me what to really look out for in life and what to actually idolize or admire and it's not, it's not really the fame and the money. Like, I mean, those things could be nice for some people, but even looking around a place like that, like it, I still saw a lot of lost people, you know, even in a place with tons of money and tons of fame. So that was a, a weird time because even when I was out on the pier in like Santa Monica, I had got a message from my now current boss asking me if I was working out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Like I had never had a conversation with him prior and I don't know where these stars aligned, but he said, hey, like, come for an interview when you're back. And I went to that interview, told him exactly what just happened the week prior. Couldn't believe it. And just ended up having 
a great interview and deciding, ah, I want to go back into sales. I'll give this one last shake. So I think it's an important story because one thing I always lacked, I think, was spirituality. You know, I was never really in tune with my spiritual side and I've never been a big religious person. So I've always had a lot of self-doubt and doubt in just the world itself, you know, questioning everything. But really being able to reflect back on an experience like that, I kind of understand that there's got to be something somewhere, somehow guiding each and every one of us into our experiences, whether it's just to teach us something or to treat us. Or I just believe that there really is, there is something out there that's putting us through our experiences for a reason. The thing that I've learned throughout life is that it's your job to figure out that reason. Mm -hmm. Things happen, but it's how you want to reason them, how you want to justify them, how you want to experience them. It's truly in your capacity and, and how you want to do that. Hey friends, The Safe Haven will be right back after this quick break. I want to keep digging into this spirituality side of things, sure. including the introspection and reflection, you know, even outpatient programs. We'll come back to that. I think another huge pivot point here is March. So maybe we'll spiral back to mm -hmm. March and then, uh, yeah, I've got some questions written down here, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, March. Nope, February. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes, end of February. But yeah, that's my recovery journey technically started right at the end of February, beginning of March. But I was I was a missing person for multiple days. And, and my family and a lot of my friends, acquaintances, people growing up, you know, likely thought I was dead. That is uh, the story of relapse. And it it's quite common in, in recovery. For myself personally, I, I noticed that when I would relapse, it would get worse. So feeding the beast, right? To the point where I haven't used since then, because that's a pretty, pretty big beast. I really felt the need to, you know, hide away and escape. And ultimately, I probably was okay with if the ultimatum was death or that, at that time, in that mindset, I was probably okay with it, but I was incredibly distraught, you know, and, and it started with thinking that I was going to introduce alcohol back into my life after being sober for, for a period of time the year prior. I was doing well. I was enjoying life. I had a lot of goals again, and, and I, I don't exactly, I think the little taste of freedom of being somewhat out on my own and... Uh, thinking the overconfidence, thinking that like, hey, damn, I got this, you know, I beat it. <laughs> this was a temporary thing and I've, I've totally beat it. And those were big downfalls. And it spiraled over the course of months to thinking that I can drink, I can drink, I can drink, to then being so ashamed and, and so hurt by my own self that I, I didn't want the world to see me, you know. But I didn't, at the time, I was so caught up in my own shit that I didn't, I didn't see the impact that that had on other people. Ironically, that was one of the best things that probably could have happened to me. Because although after being unavailable for days and, and turning on your phone to seeing on Facebook news to you yourself as well that you're missing, 
that was terrifying at first. Mm -hmm. I was so worried about such unnecessary things, you know? Oh, what is everybody going to think of me? How many people do I have to tell my story to? Blah, 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 blah. Oh, poor me. And then it was like very quickly changed to, oh shit, what have I done to a ton of other people? And what have I done to myself? So from where I thought it was going to go into damage control, it actually just, it just started uh, an, an experience that really changed my life, truly. With there being the pandemic and with me being such an outgoing and social person, and I really, really struggled not having that connection with, with people and not having fun, you know? Like I, I struggled for a while there being like, well, I'm still young, I'm in my 20s, like the COVID's taking a year of my life away from me. And so I was angry. I was angry at the world. I was angry at other people and things. And uh, so looking at it from a victim mindset. But what this kind of taught me to do was it was, to, it was to look at how important I was to other people, which then made me see how important I was to myself. And I was missing that piece. You know, it introduced me back to so many people in my life that at one point or another, I genuinely had loved or cared for deeply and I was missing that piece for so long, just being lonely and cooped up. And everybody's busy in their own lives too. You tend to forget that even just checking in on somebody here and there could mean uh, the world to them. And I didn't know I was missing that piece until I got it. And then on the other side of things, not only did it fill the social battery, it also allowed me a platform to speak about the things that I was going through. Like, hey, it's already out there. I was missing for days. The police were looking for me. I was going to be on the news the next day. I can't just explain this away or ignore it. And in fact, I really didn't want to. It did something for me that I probably would have never done for myself, which was let me be honest with, who, with what I was going through and who I was. And at the end of the day, I mean, we're all, we're all human. But I was forgetting to just actually be human, <laughs> show others that, you know, we make mistakes and nobody is perfect. Nobody's perfect and, and not ignore the elephant in the room anymore. And then I guess the third thing would be, it really did motivate me from going from an inpatient or an outpatient treatment to an inpatient treatment to where I truly discovered so much about myself and I'm, I will forever be grateful for that experience. You know, it's been a really rough couple of years, really. And trying to see the good and the bad is something that I've been practicing a lot lately. And I don't know if I would have ever learned half of what I know now if I didn't go through my addiction, truly. You know, I, I didn't have the coping mechanisms. I didn't have the emotional intelligence. I didn't, I didn't have the self-confidence or the self-worth to even remotely bring me to where I feel like I'm heading now. Mm -hmm. And my addiction, although it stripped me a lot of those things, it then allowed me to find them and then work on them and build them. Any of the conversations that you and I have had, I am just so incredibly empowered and inspired and in <laughs> awe of the awareness that you have and I, I do recognize what you've been through to put you in that place. So I completely understand and, and recognize that. But the amount of introspection and reflection that you have really sat through 
and and been mm-hmm. in very deeply. <laughs> you you just when when you create a space for another person to sit with you to converse or just to sit and listen, is that it's so safe and so welcoming and mm-hmm. oh well gosh the first time we talked we talked for like four and a half hours right so we did yeah, yeah. and <laughs> just your ability to share but when people ask you questions and the things that you foresee moving forward into which you can share in a bit here mm-hmm. um, which I'm holding you accountable to <laughs> <laughs> um at least someone will <laughs> yes exactly but I just I feel like you've taken such a dark period of your life and as cliche as it may sound you've created this incredibly bright and beautiful space that you're going to continue flourishing in Mm -hmm. when we started this conversation before we started recording you and I had kind of started talking about how life can be fucking hard it can be really dark (laughs) right and typically happy optimistic people other people don't necessarily think that we have bad days or that we are emotional or that we do feel all of the feelings mm-hmm. and experience all of the the emotions. And we do. And, mm-hmm. you know, we both came onto this call thinking that we didn't know where this conversation was going to go because we have been experiencing lows for completely different reasons in our lives. Absolutely. But that relatability too, right, is is such a beautiful connector. Absolutely. It's like because we're human and we share this same emotional range, it doesn't necessarily matter the factors that play into the way that you are feeling. I can relate to the feeling of feeling low and down Mm -hmm. and sad and hurt and angry. I can relate to that feeling. Now, when you're telling me your story, I might be trying to imagine a situation that was a little bit more serious to me to get into that emotional level that you're at. Mm-hmm. So I can really empathize with you because you might be feeling a heavier depression or a heavier anger at that time. And I really want to get on that same level with you. And in doing so that I try to recall situations where I think I'd get in that range that you're at. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it, it, we're human, right? We share mm-hmm. that experience. So that's one of the most beautiful things about your podcast and in life in general, honestly. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. I had just written down as well was the emotional intelligence because part of your story actually, it acknowledges that you deep down still had this awareness that what you were putting yourself through was not good. Yes. And that you still kind of had this ability to bring yourself back to center, even for short periods of time, you could still do that. And ultimately that's what helped you recognize and receive the love that was all around you. Yes, Exactly. Through your in and outpatient programs, what are some of the biggest takeaway messages that just help carry you through your dark days? I think one of the biggest ones for me was um, just getting rid of that guilt and shame that I was feeling about my life, like from the lying, the hiding, the using, everything like that was, hey, maybe a lot of this isn't necessarily your fault. You know, maybe you didn't know better. Like, who knows why you were where you were? But let's remove that now. Now, what direction are you heading in? Now, who are you? And I think the one of the best parts was that I didn't feel any less or different of a person because I had an addiction. In fact, some of the most beautiful, talented, intelligent people that I've met and had deep conversations with in the longest time 
have been touched by addiction one way, shape or form, whether they were an addict themselves or they had addicts in their life, you know, mm-hmm. and it changed my mindset completely. And it made me a way more compassionate person, not only to other people, but to myself. And then once I started being compassionate mm-hmm. to myself and loving myself, I wanted to treat myself better. So that, that was key number one. I thought it was just, hey, I got to stay away from drugs and alcohol. It doesn't do me good. No, I, I got to learn to love myself and, and care for mm-hmm. what's important to me and, and who is important to me. And if I can't find a day where I can live for myself, maybe I got to live for my niece. Maybe I got to live for my best friend. Maybe I got to live for my parents just to get me through that day. Because mm-hmm. it's just a bad day. It's not a bad life. Mm-hmm. Oh, as you know, I could continue talking to you for a very long time. (laughs) Um, But being respectful of your time, I do want you to share what you would like to do with your experiences and with a best friend. Yeah. And whether or not it's even a thing right now, what is this beautiful project that you envision? Yes. Okay. So uh, I love that... Okay. So one thing that I'm super grateful for is that my cousin introduced you and I, Mm -hmm. and in fact, she really made this whole thing even possible. Um, And you really sparked this idea. Uh, So I I definitely want to thank Emily for that. Uh, She's an incredible human being. Yes, we love her. She was absolutely one of the people that were there for me as soon as, Mm -hmm. you know, well, throughout my whole life. But mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed having that connection back in my life. Anyway, she introduced me to you and you introduced me to the idea of podcasting uh, into which mm-hmm. I, I've always known a podcast. I've always been like more of a comedy podcast listener. But I just, I really realized what the power behind the podcast really is. You know, it's reaching an audience and having your own platform to say what you want to say and do what you want to do. And it's completely free of anything you don't want it to be, right? So at the end of the day, if you just want to build a community and you guys want to have a couple of laughs and you guys want to have open and honest conversation and you want to connect with other people that have similar views or don't, they can come on there and argue with you for all I care. Mm -hmm. At least you're having a conversation. Mm -hmm. I, I just think it's such a beautiful thing. It sparked an idea for me to at least get the ball rolling and have an open and honest dialogue about things that are maybe more taboo or just people tend to avoid. You know, I I don't like small talk and I never have ever since I was young. We're all sharing the same experience uh, in life on on earth. So let's talk about it. Let's connect. You know, I would love to start my own podcast, especially with my best friend who we've been through like thick and thin together, like from our formative teenage years to now demolishing our relationship with our loved ones to one another to completely coming back full circle. And we're going through a pretty awesome journey together. And uh, I just want to build upon that. So I'm looking at, at starting my own podcast and and eventually just having a platform for to have other people on just exactly like you're doing. Uh, maybe a bit of a focus on recovery, addiction, but at the end of the day, I, I don't really want to pigeonhole it either. If there's, if there's a really good story to be told, come tell it. Let's talk about it. And mm-hmm. let's talk about it 
in depth and let's be honest about it and let's laugh about it. Let's cry about it, whatever. Mm-hmm. I just think it's such, uh, such a wonderful idea. The voice is all we have, right? Oh, that's it. And when we'd spoken about it, there was that it, instead of the, the pigeonhole or avoiding the pigeonhole could allow a space for mm-hmm. addicts to listen, people who mm-hmm. are in relationship with someone in crisis, mm-hmm. but also the dialogue, right, between you and your and your best friend, mm-hmm. as well as welcoming on health professionals, mental health exactly. professionals and different practitioners to get the scientific exactly. background and the psychological background, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love for it to be not necessarily educational as much as it maybe is more informational and mm-hmm. entertainment, right? But mm-hmm. you're you're right. Like some of the dream guests for me would be people in in the front lines, you know, like working with addiction or working in the healthcare industry with say like eating disorders or people with codependency or psychological disorders and just being able to have that place where, Hey, I don't actually like, cause there's tons of things in this world that I don't know squat about. And so for it to be a place where I can personally learn and grow. And if I could share those experiences and those talks that I have with other people for other one, people who want to learn and, and, and want to listen, then that's amazing. I mean, I, I have incredible conversations with tons of people I consider mentors in my life weekly, mm-hmm. you know, already. Mm-hmm. So if the, if it could be a platform that introduces me to even more people that can teach me things and, and uh, almost be mentors to me, but we can get that out to a larger audience who want to listen, then that's incredible. Mm-hmm. And even if I want to listen to it back one day, you know, my memory's terrible. I probably won't even remember half the things I said on this podcast, <laughs> but to have it recorded and go back and listen and be like, I need those reminders, yeah. right? Yeah, to have that library to go back to would be amazing too. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to happen. It is going to happen. And before I let you go, I have my three safe haven style questions. You ready? I'm ready. What are you most proud of? I am most proud of just myself, honestly, like, like how far out of my comfort zone that I've come, you know, when I was, when I was in inpatient treatment, just like belting out karaoke in the whole house and Mm -hmm. playing music for everybody and just not being so in my own head. It also made me really look at how lucky I really am to live the life that I live. There are people, there are millions of people in this world that would just kill for my spot. And so in my own self-pity and wallowing, I forgot that, you know? So I'm just, I'm proud of my progress, you know? And I'm proud that I'll never be perfect. And that's perfectly okay with me. Mm -hmm. What would you like to be known for? I think I'd like to be known for somebody who just made a difference in the world for the better, for good. Uh, it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be a massive difference, but if I can kind of carry myself with integrity throughout my life and, and if I could help even just one other person, then that would make me a very happy human being. And if you had a message for everyone listening, what would it be? Yeah. I mean, everybody has a struggle. You know, it's important that you recognize maybe what yours is, even if you don't feel like you truly have one. Um, They can seem a little bit smaller, some are a little bit bigger, 
but everybody has a struggle. Uh, remembering that when you do interact with other humans, is extremely important, but also if I can get through mine, uh, you can, you can do it for sure. There's nothing that makes me special that you couldn't do. Uh, so if I can even just inspire, motivate one person with that, then that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Dylan, thank you so much for joining me on the safe haven. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy our talks. I truly do. Dylan, thank you so much for opening up and sharing your story with me and the Safe Haven community. Your story and the way that you share it is so moving and so inspiring, and I'm excited to see and to watch this podcast grow that you are creating and how it is going to impact the world around you. To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with my platform, and I'm committed to creating a safe, brave, and inclusive space with intention. If this episode has hit you right in the heart or inspired you in any way, which I can guarantee it has, please screenshot the screen while you're listening, send it to your friends, and share it in your Instagram stories. Please be sure to tag us at the Safe Haven Podcast so we can personally thank you for it. If you're able to write a review or leave a juicy five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, that really helps this podcast grow. For more great podcasts, check out FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com and I will talk to you next week.